Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Modern Love. I'm Dr. Brenda Wade, your modern love doctor. So happy to be with you again to talk about our favorite topic, and you know what that is. It's L-O-V-E, and tonight... We're talking about toxic love and the biggest relationship myth. A lot of what Americans think is love, says our guest tonight, really isn't love. She calls it toxic love and says that it's created by fear, insecurity, dependency, and jealousy. Yes, the green-eyed monster is in the room. She's got a background in the medical field and nearly two decades of studying psychology and human behavior, and she helps high performers find romance, fun, and intimacy, she says, in record time. Okay, sign me up. We're welcoming to the show tonight Dr. Sky Blossom, who's a third-generation healer, an international speaker, frequent media guest, and in her research, she has interviewed dozens of successful celebrity couples. We don't see too many of those who are successful in love. And she's realized that most people are trapped in common myths about love. She has a new book. It's called The Best Thing Ever, Escape, Disappointment, Drama, and Let True Love Into Your Life. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sky Blossoms. How are you? Thank you, Dr. Brando. I'm truly delighted to be here. What an honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's a pleasure, and the honor is all ours because we are committed to doing everything we can to make modern love good. Now, you say most love is toxic. Start right there. What do you mean by toxic? And tell us how you came to get involved in this kind of work and what it means to you. Absolutely. I would love to share that. Well, um, I found that, well, like most people, I had my fair share of heartbreaks and I went through divorce and I was um, frankly looking for answers. And I do have a background in the medical field and I've studied psychology, but I never um, thought that relationships would become my professional arena. And um, when I got the inspiration to write the book, finally I had a marriage um, after all these heartbreaks, I had a marriage which was absolutely phenomenal and it was so easy and it was like the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I thought, wow, um, is this I just get lucky or there is um, some some science to that and I started diving deeper into the research um, because I thought what I had pretty much everybody deserves to have. And I interviewed many couples who are 
in amazing relationship. And I would like to qualify what I mean by that because um, I think everybody has their own standard of what great relationship is. And I hear a lot that people link links of the relationship to the success. And at many cases, it's true. Uh, my parents have been together for over 40 years. Uh, in some cases, I see that people are together for years, but they're not really happy. They're just settling with each other and staying there for kids, and there is really no passion or love. So I really seeked out people who were truly, when you look at them, they're just in admiration of each other. They're affectionate. They, No matter how long they've been together, they just look at each other with that true love that is palpable. You can sense it in the room. So what I found when I so for yeah. you that's part of the that's part of a qualifier when you say this is a great relationship you're looking for the way they look at each other you're looking for that energy in the room Absolutely, yes. And also, um, when I started to get to know them, I realized that my first impressions or what I've heard when I was introduced to them was absolutely true. They're, they're happy. First of all, you can see that people are happy in, in their lives and to great um, greatly it's due to their successful relationship. So when you meet one of the partner or both of them, you just see they're radiating. And um, then... I, they have tremendous, phenomenal respect and um, just praise for one another. So there were certain elements that I have found to be true across the board, and I have distilled that into my book and um, into actionable steps, and certain things came as a pure, I would say, divine inspiration, which was, you know, when you are inspired and you write something, you go like, oh, my God, I wrote that? <laughs> so uh, there were some things like that. Um, and when in my work with um, well, give us an example of, of one of mm-hmm. those. Give us an example of one of those divine inspirations. Um, such a great question. I don't know if I could exactly um, remember that. The, a lot of metaphors that I'm using in the book and some of the stories they just came to me um, as as an inspiration and some of the wisdoms. Um, in terms of tools that I apply. Um, One of the recent inspirations that I had, um, and I'm happy to share that because it's really new, um, I talk a lot that relationship is your, um, really your mirror, your partner becomes your mirror. And sometimes we hear things from our lovers that are not really pleasant to hear. And uh, we start blaming them and say, oh, you said this and that about me. But what if you looked at that and said, mirror says. And you really took it as if your mirror said hey, that one to second. you. Say that again. If, so you should look at them and say what? Let's hear that again. Um, mirror says. Mirror says. I-R-O. Okay. Yeah. All right. The mirror mirror says. says. All right. And X-Y-Z. pretend that what they're saying is really something in the mirror. Yeah. Huh. So, and then how would you respond to that if it was not the other person saying, but that was your reflection in the mirror said that to you? Would that make you um, look inside and say, huh, uh, why would I believe that about myself? Because interestingly enough, nothing that other person, anybody, your lover or perfect stranger would say to you would trigger you unless to some degree you did not believe it about yourself, right? Unless you believe it about yourself. Yeah. All right. So that's an interesting concept because some people might say, well, how do you know that other person isn't projecting what they hate about themselves onto you? Um, Likely that is the case. And yet 
if they are projecting and you have no belief or um, uh, if you are not rejecting that concept about yourself and about others within, even on the subconscious level, that would not touch you at all. For example, um, if I would tell you, Dr. Brenda, you're a man. Right, you would say you're a crazy woman. I'm not a, uh, I'm not a man. I'm a woman. I know that. I own that. And no matter how many people will tell you differently, you own certain truth about yourself, right? And it doesn't trigger you at all. Um, when we have a little bit of doubt about our ability, about our talents, so or we have fears of being selfish or fears of um, being cheated on, then usually our partners reflect them to us in, in one way or another. And we start seeing them in the mirror. That's why I'm saying um, that working on a relationship is a myth because it's like trying to fix the mirror. You have to look inside and see how am I inviting that into my life. Okay, that's a tough that's one because I spend a lot of time working with couples. I know you do too. And sometimes... You know, I certainly have seen people get in relationships because they didn't love themselves enough and invite into the relationship somebody who was abusive or who was a cheater or uh, who had a problem with addiction. And the key is to create enough self-love to get out. Would you say that that's what you're finding? I am absolutely on uh, the same page with you, absolutely, yes. So our relationships always uh, reflect to us, in in my view, um, how much we are embracing ourselves. If you value yourself and if you see um, truly the beauty of who you are, then your partner will reflect that back to you. If there are certain parts where you are uncomfortable with, then um, likely your relationships, and it doesn't have to be with your lover. It can be with your parents. It could be with your children. It could be with your best friend. Um, they will start showing up um, and, like, push those buttons that you still have, inviting okay, you, you to you want to join the conversation, let's let people know they can join our conversation if you're with us live. Feel free to call us old school at 347 989 Zero seven seven six. That's three four seven nine eighty nine zero seven seventy six. And Cliff is standing by, our associate producer, who will take your questions, or you can Facebook us or tweet us. Both would be Dr. Brenda Wade, Twitter or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you, and love to have your questions. So. Dr. Sai, as you are talking about relationships, one of the things that struck me looking at your material is you say good relationships don't require hard work and sacrifice. Couples should not have to work on their relationships at all. That is completely counter to what anybody would tell a couple. Everyone would say, hey, it takes work. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is counterintuitive. And... um, because I look at the relationship as the mirror, I think fixing a relationship, and I want to make one disclosure. I never work with couples, and that's strategic because I work with individuals within a couple, and if they want to come together, I would work with them individually or with one person. 
because whenever I, I, in the beginning of my career in this field, I tried, and what happened was partners end up almost complaining to me about the other person and hoping that I will fix their partner. And even if, and a lot of times when people are challenged already in a relationship, giving them assignments and saying, go work on this, that seems like overwhelm. That seems like, oh my God, it's already hard. Now we have to work on this. Now we have to do this and that. Versus if you just say, okay, um, this is what is happening. I certainly don't like it, but if I am willing to take full ownership of my life experience, of this partner, of what is going on, and um, I'm willing to look at this as a mirror, as a reflection of where I'm restricting my own flow of love, either towards myself or towards this person or towards the world at large. Where am I blocking my own light, in a sense? And uh, my job is to help people find what exactly is going on. But the amazing thing that happens, once one person shifts, one partner shifts, their whole experience in the dynamic as a couple completely changes because in order to have a conflict of any kind, there have to be two participants. In order to have um, um, abuse, there has to be one person who is abusing the other person who is the victim. In order to have... um, So what about a case where Mm -hmm. one person is being abused Say there's something as severe and as dysfunctional as, uh, say, verbal or emotional or even physical abuse. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that one person has to be the victim and the other has to be the abuser. And then what's the way out of that? Because well, the toxic, part- that's as toxic as it gets. Absolutely. I agree with you entirely. Um, so let's talk first about the person who is, um, quote-unquote, a victim of the abuse, right, who is allowing this. Um, I understand how it could be terrifying to attempt to get out of the situation. And at the same time, in our modern society, for most people, it's true that there are ways to get out, plenty of ways. There are hotline helps, there are, I mean, help hotlines, there are friends, there are organizations. Uh, There is a lot of support available that if a person is really willing and ready to step outside of this abuse and no longer uh, take it, um, that that is available to them. Well, hold on a second because I have Mm -hmm. to say this. Having spent a good bit of my career working in the field of domestic violence, one of the things that we know, this is the hard research, is that if we're talking about a woman in a domestic violence situation, she is more likely to be able to leave if, A, she doesn't have children, B, she has Mm -hmm. some independent means of her own, if she's educated, if she has a career, and if she has a family who will take her in or take care of her. Women tend to go to shelters when the police are involved and the police remove the woman and the children, or remove the abuser from the home because laws have changed and now protect the person being abused. So I just want to say it's not just as simple as making a choice to leave. As you know, I know you know this, it's very, very difficult because people who come from abusive families 
tend to find their way into abuse, and it feels so painful yet familiar, it's hard to pick up the phone and ask for help or hard to get out. uh, You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and I'm not implying that it's easy. And um, the case when there are children and the family has been going on for years, it's a really, really severe case. The abuse has started likely when they were even before they were married or early years of marriage. So um, the the longer it goes on, the harder it becomes to get out. And and nonetheless... Play a role. Yeah, money plays a big role here. Yeah, women without means have a harder time, and sometimes women with means have a hard time because they have so much to lose if they leave. It's it's a very tricky situation, and we certainly I agree with you that there are those patterns that are there. And what I'm asking is, what's your view of what it takes for someone to actually say? I must find my way out of this. I so much appreciate your question. And I think the answer is in one extremely powerful word, which I think is overused when it's not really true. But when that word becomes truth for someone, there is no turning, there's no way back. And that word is a decision. A lot of people would say they want a lot of things, but they do not reach that point of no return. They're like, I've decided that, and they become unwavering from this. I want to share um, a little episode from a personal life, which is not related to relationship, but it is primarily related to who I am today and where my life took me. I grew up in Ukraine and actually, frankly, in Soviet Union. And I visited abroad from um, Iron Curtain for the first time in the age of, and when I was riding on a train back to Ukraine and we just crossed the border from Poland and the train stopped at the station, I looked out of the window and I saw a mass of people with gray faces that looked similar and they had profound sadness and doomness on their faces and those were people of Soviet Union. And I at my age 13 realized that I'm likely to grow up and become one of them, that I will be faceless, that I will be joyless, that I will be just one more clone of this work class. And that thought terrified me so much um, that at that time I had a decision, I will do anything to leave Ukraine. And it took me 10 years and I finally left and moved to the U.S. In, and believe me, it was not easy to leave uh, Soviet Union, not <laughs> it was it was it could be a little bit compared to the abusive relationships, maybe in some degree. But um, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that once the person makes a choice that is really in alignment with their soul, there is nothing that can stop them, and there is always wherewithal and all the means that start showing up in their life in amazing, sometimes miraculous ways that helped them carry on to that. And what it would take for someone to um, actually make that decision, it's an individual process. Being a doctor, you know that chronic diseases are close to incurable. They have to be acute in order to um, be shifted. Something had changed. So it has so to be... the important thing here enough. is for each mm-hmm. one of us, and I want everybody to 
to really take this in because there's a lot of truth in this, and that is when we are firm, and this is one of those three laws of manifestation. That law is called the law of persistent determination, that you make up your mind, you make up your heart, you make up your body, you make up everything you can that I am going to find a way out. And I will say uh, in, in your support, Dr. Skye, that I have in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of many people, that persistent determination is the key. Now, we have a quick question here. Let's just take this question. This is coming in from Joe. And Joe says, you say relationships aren't hard work, but my partner and I have been working really hard on our relationship, and it's better. Okay, mm-hmm. thank you, Joe. It's not a question so much as a comment. It's a comment. Well, wonderful. I'm glad it's I'm glad it's better and it's individual. I probably shall say that it doesn't have to be. That that probably would be a more accurate statement because for some people it has been hard and they choose to work on that and they find improvement and it's wonderful. But by default, it doesn't always mean hard, hard work and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm. All right, it doesn't have to be, but isn't there a place, if your relationship isn't what you want it to be, isn't there a place where you have to use persistent determination to turn it around? Possible, but um, it's it's sort of, in my view, it's sort of a hard way of going about it. Uh, mostly what we're discussing right now, how to get out of this function, and um, where I see it's like how to heal a disease when it's already third-stage cancer, right? How to get out of it. That's what we're talking about in relationships. It takes hard work, determination, persistence, and yes, it's possible. Now, what I'm talking about, that it doesn't have to be hard work. How do you prevent cancer? How do you live a healthy lifestyle? So applying it to relationships, how do you build the foundation before you actually get married? How do you put... Uh, right tools in place and right agreements in place so that when you do have challenges, you know before they appear how to deal with them. Um, how do you choose the right partner? How do you know whether you are really in love or your biological clock is ticking and you're making a decision out of fear of being lonely? I feel the difference. So this is more about people who are single who are wanting and needing to put those foundations and agreements in place. What about people who are already in relationships and who love each other and want to learn? Because in my view, and certainly all the research that I've seen, you know, the research says that there are 50% fewer divorces for people who do premarital coaching. So that certainly Mm -hmm. argues for your point of view that people need preparation. But then... There's research that shows there are 50% fewer divorces if you get good help if you hit a rough spot. Absolutely How agree with you. So those, yeah, that foundation could be put in place at any point, provided they're both partners who are equally committed to a success. So when they come into agreement and say, hey, what we've got here is not working, um, let's see if we can find tools that help us better. And whether they start my invitation for people who are in this situation, first and foremost, do not start discussing the problems that you have because you've been enough in that conversation of what's not working. 
start a conversation from instead of what has been and it was displeasing, what would you like to create and co-create together a vision and the feeling place for your container of a relationship for your experience and then uh, make agreements um, I may share a couple of tools that might be really really helpful and I find that yeah we love tools please yeah so um, there are certain agreements that I think are really helpful to put in place, whether you're just starting the relationship so you're being in it for a while. And one of them is assume positive intent. So let's say you and I are partners and we decide, yes, we love each other. Yes, we're uh, building our life together. And whatever you do or say, I will first give you the benefit of the doubt. I will assume that you have my best interest in heart. And before I jump into thinking that, you now you're accusing me or you're blaming me or you are uh, offending me in some way, you're criticizing me, I will assume that what you mean is good from depth in your heart, even if it doesn't come out in perfect words from your mouth. So I will stop my reaction and I will consider what if you are saying or acting in my best interest, in our best interest. And you, as my partner, will do the same for me. So that alone will take so much pressure off because when we get triggered, we tend to react. And once you stop and say, oh, wait a minute, she loves me or he loves me, uh, we're in this together, what else could it mean? It gives you space to um, actually consider different possibilities and really respond from a powerful place versus uh, be emotionally triggered and reacting. Make sense? Hello? Yes, I totally get what you're saying. I think that's a very powerful tool. I was just thinking about it for a minute and trying it on with some mm-hmm. of the couples that I've worked with. And I could see how some couples are evolved enough to do something like assume positive intent. And then I was thinking, wow, I certainly know other couples where that would be very difficult because the behavior mm-hmm. has been so hurtful that there has to be healing and some other work done first, maybe forgiveness first. Yeah. Well, in those cases, uh, if the assumption of this positive intent becomes a real difficulty, that means that trust, fundamental trust, has been broken. And it's really challenging to build a relationship with a person whom you don't trust. So, yes, you're absolutely right. Deep healing and forgiveness has to happen first before they can step into a co-creative space together. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because to co-create, having a foundation of trust makes complete sense. Now, we only have a couple of minutes left. We have one question. And then I wonder if you could leave us with what you feel is the most important thought from your new book. And everyone, that book, again, is called The Best Thing Ever, Escape Disappointments and Drama and Let True Love Into Your Life. And it's a practical guide to lasting happiness. Okay, here's our question. Mm -hmm. My husband and I have been caught in a cycle, seems like an endless cycle with his drinking. What should I do? Mm -hmm. Well, um, when he's not drinking, catch him in his best moment. When he is, when you see a glimpse of a person with whom you fell in love with, 
and have a heart-to-heart conversation and say, absolutely, when he's sober, when you when you have that moment of clarity in his eyes and communicate to him how you feel, that you love him and that this pattern is unbearable. And if you feel that he is willing and wholeheartedly committed to stepping up and um, addressing that, then you can help him and support him through the process. If you hit the wall um, where, you know, there is no commitment on his part at all and no cooperation, then you have to make a decision regarding your life, what will serve you best. And I'm not going to tell you what decisions you will feel for the right choice, but yeah, that makes that's what I would do. Thank you for that. And Dr. Sky Blossoms, what would you say is the most important thing you want us to take away from our conversation tonight. Absolutely. Well, I have two things, an important thing and a gift, if that's all right. Um, An important takeaway is look for appreciation. This is the one single, very simple, most important tool that I know. Look for things to appreciate in your partner. And if you want to make the lists of what you like and consistently praise, Positive reinforcement works way better than any criticism, and praise works any better than demand, much better than any demand. So, okay, positive reinforcement, appreciation, and praise. Everybody, take it to the bank. We want to thank you, Dr. Simpson, for your advice. Check out her book, The Best Thing Ever, everyone, and her website is www.bestthingever.com. And do stay tuned in the coming weeks. We have Dr. John Gray. You know him from Women Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, talking about staying focused in love. Mary Jane Ryan, How to Survive Change, and Daphna Slonim is going to talk about self-sabotage. Thank you to Cliff Dunning, our associate producer. Big thank you to LeGron Green, our producer, and to you, our audience. Send us your ideas on things you'd like us to talk about or guests you'd like us to interview. All right, everyone, blessings, lots of love. I'm Dr. Brenda Wade.